I'm convinced the number one goal of the church is to help people make a home for Christ and in themselves. Homemaking. And the way we do this, the way the church helps us do this, is by helping us raise our consciousness, both individually and collectively. I'm convinced of this. I visited a hospice patient. This was several years ago. It took me several visits to get him to open up about himself and his life. I would ask him questions about his childhood, and it was like he just couldn't access that part of his memory. I mean, he had been living on, it was like a conveyor belt for so long that he just focused on his daily rhythms, and he kind of forgot how to tap into that part of his brain that held all his memories. And the truth is, this happens to all of us. Our unconscious selves take over, and we lose the ability to self-reflect. And it's incredibly sad. Now, I didn't give up on him. I kept visiting him every week, and after a few weeks... He finally started telling me stories about when he played t-ball as a kid. Or his parents owned a farm, and he used to have to do all kinds of odd jobs around the farm. He had a creek in the backyard, and he loved to walk in. And he had a secret hideout that, to this day, he's the only one who knows about it. He had a group of five friends from kindergarten on, and they stayed close. And they remained friends, and all of the other four had died. As he became more and more conscious to who he was, his memory started to return. He told me about the first house that he bought and the job that he had as a teenager delivering newspapers. He talked about how proud he was of his daughters and the events that led up to his wife's death. He began to speak more openly about his feelings. When I visited, you could even tell his demeanor had changed. His face lifted, he smiled more. You could tell these memories were comforting him even in the face of death. They were connecting him to the divine. When we live an unconscious life, it's regrettable because we sever that connection and that tethering to God. And the sad part is we all do it. We all at times live unconsciously. And because of this, we allow things to grow in the dark. Now, I want to share something that I have absolutely no scientific evidence for. This is utterly anecdotal. But I would doubt you would think I'm wrong. Here it is. The thing that grows in the shadows in our unconscious selves is shame. The hospice patient lived unconsciously for so long, he started to die with shame. The shame of being too sick or being sick enough to die. The shame of past regrets that followed him. Shame of not being a good enough father or son. What bubbled in the shadows for him was a heaping pile of shame. But as he became more conscious, more conscious of telling me his memories and even of himself and even of God, he started to let down his guard. He became more vulnerable. He opened up about his past and what we discovered together was hidden in the back of his memories was not shame, but joy and laughter and grace 
And I think that's true for all of us. So finding ways to become more conscious is perhaps what this whole spiritual journey is about. It can literally change our lives for the better. It draws us into, it connects us deeper, it tethers us to the divine. And if you need proof of this, I don't think we have to look any further than Luke chapter 5. Jesus arrives in Gennesaret. A crowd starting to follow him pretty much wherever he goes. At this point, everyone is following Jesus. Now, we know in our studies of other gospels that he's hopping from synagogue to synagogue, from city to city. He's teaching, he's preaching, he's performing miracles at a rapid pace. Anyone that, is, that knows he's coming flocks to him. On this particular day, such a crowd forms around him on the seashore. So Jesus takes it as a teaching moment. He sees a boat. He asks the owner if he can sit in it, and he begins to teach. You would think that's what this story is about, but there's more. When he finishes teaching, he turns to the boat owner, whose name happens to be Simon Peter, who's sitting in a second boat next to James and John and an unnamed person, probably Andrew. And this is where the story really picks up steam. This is really what it's driving home at. Here are lifelong fishermen, people who have plodded through life unconsciously on a conveyor belt. They are experiencing a very much a rhythm of life. They're out on the water, but they're not catching anything. Great metaphor for what being unconscious looks like. Then a stranger with this huge following shows up and he wants to use their boat. They know he's a miracle worker. Actually, Simon Peter's mother-in-law was the one of whom Jesus healed just days before. So they know who he is. All the fishermen start becoming a little more conscious. They awaken to the presence of the divine in this moment. They let Jesus use their boat. They're open. They're intrigued. What's this man going to do? So Jesus turns to the fishermen, presumably to say, thanks for the boat, but then he takes it a step further. Hey guys, you're not catching much fish, are you? Put your nets out into the deep water and see if you catch anything. And in verse five, Peter answered, Master, we've worked all night long, but we've caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both boats. So they began to sink. It's at this moment that Peter fully awakens to the divinity that's in Jesus. And it is life pausing for him. Peter is standing face to face with a real miracle worker. So he gets out of the boat and immediately follows Jesus, right? I mean, that's the story. Jesus performs a miracle. Peter is in all of the moment, and he just gives his whole life to this movement, right? Sort of, but no. I mean, Peter does actually give his life to this movement. He really is a fisherman. He really is one of the first disciples. And Jesus really does show up. He really does teach. He performs a miracle. And the disciples eventually are compelled to follow Jesus, and they leave everything to do it. That is what happens. But there's something in this text that gives everything around that pause. Something we need to see, and it sits in verse 8. When Simon Peter... Peter saw the miracle 
he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Peter is not initially attracted to Jesus' movement. He's repelled from it. I mean, he's dumbfounded by the miracle for sure. But when it comes to actually following Jesus, the miracles and teachings aren't enough. Why? Because when we unconsciously bump up against the divine, it triggers our shame. 19th century theologian Rudolf Otto calls this the mysterium tremendum. When we bump up against the divine, it is awesome, awe-inspiring, but it's also terrifying. When Simon Peter fell to Jesus' knees, he said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. When we live in our unconscious selves, our shame takes over and it builds. And we think we shouldn't be allowed to be so close to something so perfect because our shame is triggered by the holy. In 2009, I had a trip of a lifetime. I got to go to the Middle East. I remember one particular day, we climbed a mountain and we were just going to look out over this, the landscape. And we did it early in the morning, like 5 a.m. We hiked a mountain and then we wanted to watch the sunrise come up. There was a woman on the trip who couldn't stop crying. I mean, honestly, she was sobbing to the point where it was very distracting to everyone else. People were trying to interrupt her or to comfort her, to interject whatever they could to be like, listen, it's gonna be okay. Like, we're gonna get down off this mountain. It's gonna be fine. We'll do it together. Everything's gonna be fine. But she couldn't stop crying. She was just crying and crying and crying. And honestly, we were getting nowhere with her. She couldn't articulate why she was crying so much. But days later, we were sitting around a fire it, after dinner, and she confessed to us that she got too close to the divine. She thought herself to be a sinner. And in her shame, she didn't think she deserved to see something so perfect. She was threatened by the holy. When we live unconsciously, we're threatened by the holy. When we're unconscious to the divine mysteries in and around us, then the holy stops being attractive and we reject it because we're led by our shame. Which is why I believe the number one job of the church is to help people make a home for Christ within themselves, to become spiritually connected within themselves, to become conscious because anyone outside of the church and even most of us inside of the church who live unconsciously to this divine truth of God's grace and love the chances are we're just swimming every single hour of the day in a big pool of shame but what if we had a church that helped us become conscious then we have community, not built on fear or shame, but on grace and love. 
a community living with a sense of purpose and calling and joy. I mean, I've thought about this quite a bit, and I think I'm right. I think the church's number one goal is to do for others what Jesus does for Peter in Luke 5, to help people become conscious. And this is why we've hired Pastor Kristen to be our associate pastor of spiritual growth. She's here to help raise our consciousness, to grow towards grace and truth and joy. But I will say to Pastor Kristen that she cannot do this in so much as if she's not willing, unless she's willing to remain conscious herself. She has to remain conscious to her own shame as well as her own joys, and then continually grow through them both. Then she can invite us to do the same. I think it's evident to all of us that Christ has called Kristen out onto the waters with him. She is one that has been asked to make a home here and to guide us in Christ's path. And she's very good at it. So I hope she will stay conscious. I hope she can bring us along too. And I hope she'll let Jesus' words in verse 10 be for her. Then Jesus said, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. The assurance and promise here of what move is what moves Peter to consciousness. And this detail needs to be understood by all of us. Jesus' teachings and miracles, they piqued Peter's interest, but they weren't enough to make him get out of the boat and to become a disciple. Shame kept Peter in the boat. Shame made him look away. Shame held him hostage in a spiritually unconscious state. And the same is true for all of us. We can come to church, we can hear a good story about a good man and a good thing that was done 2,000 years ago, but that doesn't mean we're going to leave here a disciple. Being the presence of God at church or in the presence of God at church doesn't magically make us disciples. Coming to church doesn't magically make us Christian. Rather, coming to church should expose to you consciousness leaving you vulnerable to deal with the moment. And here's the terrible truth about church. I rarely speak ill of the church, but for the longest time, we have left people right here. We don't guide them through that vulnerability. We just leave them sitting in the sanctuary, plodding through their shame, reminding them that they are in fact exactly their worst fear. They're a sinner for whom God can't do anything with. The church actually has made billions of converts and has earned billions of dollars over the years feeding this lie to the world. And the lie is this. You should be ashamed of yourself. I know it's a lie because I see what Jesus does in Luke 5 for Peter. He meets Peter in his shame and assures him that he is God's beloved and that he actually has a calling on his life too. Do not be afraid, Peter. From now on, you will be catching people. Now, if the church could start helping people move from their unconscious shame 
to consciously accepting their blessedness, then we'd start making disciples. And I'm so glad that we have Pastor Kristen to help us do just that. And by letting the Spirit lead her, Kristen, I think you will invite us into these moments of vulnerability. And we won't be terrified of them. We'll be awe-inspired with them. And I think they will invite us into moments like Luke 5, 11. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed Jesus. And isn't that really the intention of the church? Shouldn't it be an opportunity for us to awaken from our sinful, unconscious shame and to see that Jesus is already there on the path calling us forward into new life, inviting us to make a home with him. I sure hope that is what First Baptist is doing for you.